0: 5,000 to 1. That was the odds that Vegas put on Leicester City winning the Barclays Premier League in 2016. Kasper Schmeichel had a front row seat to the biggest miracle in sports history. No phones, no TV, no internet, nothing. Total blackout. That was his plan on the last day of the season when Leicester City defied all the odds and won the title. I'm Sean Conboy, the executive editor of the Players' Tribune. This is the story of Kasper Schmeichel. Back in Denmark when I was probably four, we, had, uh, we lived in this little apartment up above a shop and um, there was like this little bridge going through and there was a swing on it. And that was basically, I think that's my first kind of memory of, of anything really is, is, is sitting on that swing. Uh, so my first four years were in Copenhagen in a little town called uh, Villor and um, I don't remember a great deal other than that swing and obviously I've been back and I can remember it from there but I don't remember really living there it was a small apartment um, few details of of, but again it's more from pictures and things I've seen it but um, I moved to England when I just before I turned five and uh, we lived the first Probably the first three months in in a hotel in Manchester called uh, the Amblehurst Hotel, uh, in 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 a city called Salford, right right where um, about ten minutes from Old Trafford. Um, So had a lot of memories of 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 playing in the hallways, playing football in the hallways uh, with uh, with the people who owned it, their kids. Um, Yeah, we moved uh, we moved to a, a little town called Bramhall after that. With my, my, when my parents found a house for us to live and uh, yeah that was that was a really nice little neighbourhood we had a, a little sort of cul-de-sac street um, next door to to Steve Bruce I played a lot with his kids with with, with Amy and Alex um, we had a big forest all the back gardens left uh, around the cul-de-sac led into a forest so I uh, spent a lot of time just playing playing in the forest you know it's not wasn't like the, the it is now you know no phones no Computer games, TVs, all that kind of stuff. So, so we were basically outside all day, every day when we got home from school. Um, lived there till I was eleven. I lived in Portugal for uh, for two years. Um, uh, we lived in a few different places. We lived in an apartment that that Sporting Lisbon, my dad's club, got for us. Uh, you know, it was a very big contrast to England. We, you know, it was right on on, on the sea and. Amazing views, and, and and it was a completely different life, nice and nice and warm. And uh, then we moved into a, uh, yeah, f- the biggest house I'd ever seen at the time. Um, you know, with where we had tennis courts, pool, and all that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, for me, the most important thing was the back garden because that was obviously where I played football. So, um, so yeah, it, it was a it was a very different life in in Portugal than it was to England. Uh, that was. You know, from from 11, 12, 13 years old. You know, that was probably the more kind of vivid memories I've got of of growing up uh, there uh, there and thereafter. Um, yeah, it was, like I say, very different culture to England, having been used to, you know, rubbish weather and cold all the time, and and a completely different type of school. And then this, you come down to Portugal, and you've got palm trees in the school garden and you know, of a very much slower pace of life, uh, and um, I didn't enjoy it at the time. I didn't actually enjoy living in Portugal at the time. But looking back on it, I actually feel I have some good memories. And and actually, it's one of those you don't realise what you had until it's gone. You know, so so it was it was it was actually a good time looking back. At the time, I didn't quite enjoy it that much, and it wasn't quite a, a nice experience with with. Um, with my father being a footballer the, the fans were very uh very different in portugal than they were in england you know they were very fanatical very uh you know um how, how, should, how should i say it, it was kind of like if, if if sporting lisbon lost i wouldn't go to school the next day because it just wouldn't be yeah it wouldn't be nice walking into school with if sporting had lost so it was it was a very different kind of thing than than, than in england um but you know that's, that has its good sides as well because when when they did win then everything was great so uh yeah. so yeah um different pace of life uh then i moved one year back to denmark to go to sports college and uh that was probably the most important year of my life because that was uh you know from 14 to 15 that was that was a big learning curve it was a it was a boarding school so i I lived about two hours away from, from where my mum lived, so my mum lived in Copenhagen, my dad lived in in uh, in England, he played for Aston Villa at the time, uh, and uh, you know, living on your own at 14, having to be thrust into a group of people, 16 people in, in one house, eight boys, eight girls, having to kind of work out how to, how to and I was the youngest as well, everyone was two years old, older than me, so I was exceptionally immature at the time, and uh, mm but uh but it was a great experience and it was also there where you know football really kind of took hold for me um it was a, it was a time where you know I'd played in Portugal I'd played in a in a team called Estoril and um you know great time there but it was never really serious until probably at, uh, when I when I went to to sports college and I had I met a coach that that meant a lot to me that that helped me along kind of you know saw that I had something Something very raw I had a lot of uh, temperament A lot of aggressiveness uh, And he kind of learned to channel it Helped me to, to use it for, for good instead of negative So um, it was a big year for me in many ways For, for growing up And uh, very, very big for me you know, in my future for, with, with regards to football um, I had the option to stay another year Usually you only stayed there one year I had the option to stay there another year But then I got the chance to go on trial at Manchester City I briefly went on trial at Brøndby back in Denmark, and uh, the the chance to go to City came up, and I went over for uh, for a trial, and um, yeah, I went there for for two weeks, and uh, I signed a five-year contract after that, and uh, yeah, the rest is kind of history. There was a tradition of the team that won the Euro '92 Cup. They always, every year, got together and played a game you know just for fun in front of people it was like an old boys game against a team they traveled around the country local side and uh, and then had a big party afterwards um and usually the the tradition was my my dad would go up front for uh, the second half go and play up front um and the backup keeper at the time a guy called uh, Mons Moonscough he was still active he was away with his club so they and they had no one else to go in, and then uh, the the manager suggested to my dad, maybe, what about what about your boy? Because because we there was a lot, you know, all the players obviously had kids, and we were all kind of the same age, and you know, you know, we were fourteen, fifteen years old. We all we used to when, you know, when when all the the, the, the parents and that went for, we'd eating dinner, we'd get our boots on, we'd just go and play in the in the hotel garden or something like that. So I had my boots with me, I didn't have gloves with me, so um, I borrowed a pair of my dad's gloves. But there's a few objections in, in the dressing room that, you know, people thought it'd become a bit of a gimmick or something. But uh, but there, there was really no other option, so I came on and uh, I did all right, did okay. And uh, the the, the centre-half, the captain in front of me was Lars Olsen, who was had just been appointed youth team coach of Bromby, which is why I went to Bromby and uh, he afterwards he you know he spoke to my dad and said do you want to do you want to send cash along for for some training and i did and and it, it went okay as well then i got the the opportunity to go and have a trial at man city and obviously that was that was uh, slightly more attractive to me i went through phases where football was less important and you know when i was 7 i i wanted to be a fireman a policeman and doctor i went, wanted to be a doctor for a long time you know, uh, that's still it. Still interests me. It's always interested me. But, but yeah, it'd, be, it'd probably be it'd probably be the fight to get me out of football clothes and wearing normal clothes for for any kind of a f- social gathering. I'd always want to have all my uh, all my football gear on. I was kind of an all or nothing. I still am kind of an all or nothing person. If I like something, I love it. If I don't like something, I hate it. And there's not really a lot in between. Um, you know, I was very stubborn, very, uh, you know, I had a fixed idea of if I wanted something done, it has to be done in a certain way. Uh, But yeah, I I was very active, probably, you know, drove my parents mad because, you know, it was non-stop. And it was anything, anything sport, anything to do with the ball, uh, anything to do with climbing trees. You know, we had, like I said, we had a forest in our back garden, so just, you know, coming in, drenched mud everywhere um you know rolling around in in the in the river bank and every, all sorts of just playing army or whatever it, it was but just very very active uh and um yeah if, if, if i liked something i was very driven it was fun you know we used to play in the streets all the time you know and it, it's something that's gone away from this world now you know you don't see kids playing in the street anymore uh but, you know, it taught you a lot and it toughened you up and taught you a lot about technique and, and all these kind of things. But, I don't know, we, you know, it was just one of those things that you did with your friends, you grabbed your football and you, you went and played. And, and, you know, no No mobile phones, no cameras, no social media, none of all that rubbish, just, just pure joy of playing football. That was, um, that was, yeah, that's probably the only way I could describe it. It was scoring goals. I loved scoring goals. Still do. Um, But it came to a point where I had to decide, and I felt I could go furthest by being a goalkeeper. Um, I enjoy, enjoyed, enjoy, still enjoy um, playing outfield. You know, I was always striker or winger or something like that. Um, But and yeah, there's no better feeling than scoring a goal. Quite a defining moment for me comes when I'm I'm 15. Uh, we played a game. Um, so the way the sports college was then, it's changed now. It, there was only one pitch. There was a boys' girl, uh, a boys' team and a girls' team, and we shared the pitch half and half. But it, in in Denmark, obviously the winters were pretty harsh, and we didn't have any heated pitches. So there was a little gravel pitch next to it, and which was probably about half the size of of a normal pitch. So we had to share that, boys and girls as well. And at the time, um, at the time, I uh, our other goalkeeper was injured, so it was just me, and we were playing. We were, we were playing like a an, an interval game, only eighteen, sixteen, eighteen yards. So very, very small game. Basically, shots, shots, shots all the time. One, one v ones, two v twos, and uh, they'd, they'd had to get the girls' team keeper into the other goal, and uh, we end. I ended up losing. We, we lost twenty-two, twenty. One or something like that, and uh, I remember that the coach kind of was kind of making a joke, you know, he was you know, thinking of it now, is kind of sexist in a way, but but he, you know, he, he kind of like, I can't believe he looked at me, What are you? I can't believe you've lost to a girl, what, what what's going on? And then he said, One of the biggest talents in Danish football, and you've just lost to a girl, but that I'd never ever thought of myself in that in that way i'd never th- the like one of the biggest talents in Danish football that those that phrase obviously in Danish but that phrase stuck with me all day you know going back up to to our house having a shower getting changed look, that phrase is like one of the biggest talents in Danish football well that was that was kind of like an awakening thinking Jesus am i and you know, and that kind of made me think well, can I make something of this and that kind of jolted me into life and really made me folk right. Okay, well I can do this, and gave me belief, and it kind of gave me a, a target to to reach, and and that was that was quite a defining moment for me. And I remember it was a really tight game, but I don't actually remember details of the game. I just remember the aftermath. It, it was it was in a way a ridicule, but um, and kind of you know. Thinking back, it, I kind of feel sorry for, for for the girl who was in goal, thinking you know she'd actually come in and done a really good job, you know, and 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 won the game. But um, no, but it was it was the moment after when uh, when when they you know they, they were having a bit of fun, and the manager said those words, and that was that was a big big moment. And the, the actual action of the game, I can't really remember it. It was because we, we used to play that kind of thing every day, so they kind of blend into one a little bit. Being Danish, I think I have the the advantage of also living very long time well most of my life abroad so i can all I can see Danes from a different perspective I can also see it from the Danish perspective but I think Danes are very um very pragmatic very sort of level headed in the sense that you know. You know, I'm not. Not this is not necessarily me, but generally, you know, you don't get too worked up about things. You don't get too down about things. Very, uh, very practical things have got to be. Practical things have got to be, be done in a. You know, there's no point in overcomplicating things. And I don't know. I think we're we're quite quite a, a happy nation. You know, we we we've, we're a very small nation, but things work pretty well, and we're. Uh, we haven't got a lot of complaints about about life back in Denmark. I think we're very aware of there are countries that have much bigger problems than ourselves, so we're actually quite thankful that, that we managed to reasonably keep things uh, ticking along nicely. But being Danish is, uh, you know, I, I can see it. From from English points of view, and I can see it from Danish points of view. I have I have kind of both in the in my head. Um, but it's a good question. I can't really say what exactly. Having lived nearly all my life in in England and abroad, Denmark has always felt like home. Every time I go back, it feels like home. I speak Danish. I think Danish. I you know my family. We've always spoken Danish. We've lived in a Danish way and you know I'm you know I'm married to a Danish woman I've got Danish kids who speak Danish and you know so Denmark is and always will be home Um, all my family live there Uh, and yeah it it is home and when I go back I like being there I enjoy being there you know it's a very different mentality than, than living over here and there's there are things in Denmark that I've you know I find ridiculous and there are things over here I find ridiculous you know so I have the the great advantage when I when I start finding them ridiculous I go back here and then when I find that I, I go back there so I can kind of you know I find I think it's a really good thing so I used to go with my dad to training a lot and I used to you know I used to sit and watch all these you know Eric Cantona David Beckham Paul Scholes, Mark Hughes, Andre Kinchalskis, Ryan Giggs, all these players training every single day. Used to see them and used to stand at the side of the goal when my dad was was playing and I used to save the shots going wide and when he went in every now and then I'd go in the goal and, you know, David Beckham would whip balls into the top corner or, you know, I'd tried it once before with the Denmark team when I was 13 or 14 where my dad had, had got injured and, you know, the manager said, go on have a go and so so I would tried it before and and it wasn't kind of a it wasn't daunting in any way because I'd grown up around these types of people you know big professional athletes famous athletes and so it wasn't one of those like wow this is unbelievable because it, it was kind of my life you know I'd been used to to when I was at home that you know the captain man united lived next door Steve Bruce lived next door you know and we I used to go to his house so it was never a Never a big thing in a way, it was just all I'd ever known. I'd been on trial at Fulham and they'd offered me a contract, but my, my parents felt it was too early for me to move on my own to London. You know, I was only, I was only at the time, only 14. Um, I'd been on trial at Manchester United and never heard back from them. And uh, went on trial at City and in my first day, I got thrown in with the first team. You know, 15 years old, and uh, you know I, I remember I got thrown into a like a game, seven aside, side, eight aside side game, and I remember Ail Berkovich stopping the game, saying, "What the fuck is going on here? Who the who the fuck is that?" And you know, everyone was like just, just get on with it. i let's just let's just play. And I did okay, and then I got thrown into a uh, I got thrown into a shooting session with Nicholas and Elka, and he destroyed me, you know, absolutely destroyed me. Uh, Kevin Keegan was a manager, very charis- charismatic guy, uh, and I think it was my it was my first day he was showing me around the, the training ground, and, you know, we played head tennis against each other on the first day, and it was kind of crazy. On my first ever kind of trial day that, that I, I got thrown in with the first team, they kind of went, right, let's see what this kid can do. And um, it went well. Uh, I spent... Two weeks with with them there with with the goalkeeper coach and worked didn't train that much with the first team. After that, it was more with the reserve team. But I think they kind of just wanted to see how I'd react to that situation. Um, and yeah, then then the um, yeah, the club secretary phoned my dad and said uh, you know, the manager wants to speak to you about Casper. Manager spoke to him said we'd, we'd like to offer him. Uh, schoolboy contract scholarship and, and a full professional contract, so they asked me, well, you know what do you want to do of course i said, of course i want course i wanna sign so um so yeah, I remember going to main road uh and and signing my contract with, uh, with my parents there and we went uh went back to the village where we lived and went to a restaurant to celebrate and I just remember then. Another couple of friends coming in, and I was like, "Oh, that was a coincidence." And then another couple came in, and another, and I was like, "Oh, what's going on here?" And then my parents had obviously called everyone, our friends that lived in England, and we had a a big celebratory meal afterwards. And uh, yeah, it was it was obviously a big moment, but I think with the experience our family had of football, we kind of knew, yeah, it was it was big, but it it wasn't, you know, and it wasn't because it was a big money contract or anything like that you know i think it was it was 90 pounds a week or something like that you know so it wasn't it wasn't going to make me it wasn't going to set me for life or anything like that so uh it was it was a big it was yeah it was it was a big step it was a big step for me and it was a big step for where i wanted to go but you know there was a lot bigger hurdles to come what people see they see the Product on on a Saturday, and then they see in the news on the in the newspapers on the TV on their phones, they see all the glitz and glamour of it. They don't see what actually goes in the process. it's the tip of the iceberg they see. So, you, you, you mentioned Beckham. Take let's take him as an example. How many hours he spent after training? Practicing free kicks, free kicks, free kicks, crosses, 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 all these kind of things, skulls, how much he was finishing, always finishing, Gary Neville, long throws, practicing long throws, the right areas, these kind of things spending hours and hours and hours. I used to spend I used to spend maybe six seven hours a day training you know i I'd, I'd only have to train maybe two, but i i just i wanted to improve, I wanted to. I had a goal, I had somewhere to, to go, I was driven, and I knew that I had a lot of work to do, and it, it, it's it's muscle memory, it's um, repetition, 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 it's boring, it's really boring sometimes, but it's it's having that repetition, so when it happens in a situation where it means something, then it just comes completely natural, it's, it, it's just instinctive what you do. Then there's how you live away from football, What what football does, or what Probably what any professional sport does, uh, particularly now. It wasn't as bad when I was younger, but particularly now, it robs you of your youth. You don't have a, You don't. You don't have the uh, the kind of experiences that that, um, that like sculpt you as a person. So you you lose out on a lot of what you'd call regular stuff. You know, going away to to school, going away to college, going to you know, university, living on your own, you know, having to manage a very tight budget and, you know, living off nothing and, you know, all these kind of things you don't experience. You get into a system so early where everything's so serious. It's about winning. It's about being the best every single day. Being You're obsessed about being the best. Every training, you want to be the best all the time. You know, I, I still go into every training completely obsessed about being the best in training every single day, and having that drive, but that has a cost that has a cost on your private life on your development as a human you know you, you don't you have your friends and all that, but you can't go with them when you know when they're when they're going to to parties or they're going out on a Friday night, you know you, you've got to stay in you've got to be professional, you've got to perform on a Saturday, and you can't just you know there's so many things you can't do. And there's so many things that 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 you have to give up to get to where you want to go, and ultimately it's a balancing act. It, it's is it worth it? You know, and for me, yeah, I I, I thought it was worth it. I have friends who I still uh, am very good friends with who I had more talent than me, but it wasn't worth it for them. You know, they 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 would rather have the life experience. You know, so so for me, it's one of those things that. It's dangerous at the moment because it gets too serious too early. And like I said, signing that first contract means nothing. It's just, it's a stepping stone. And the amount of people that move on to the next level is, I think the percentage is very, very small. So you give up so much of your youth and all of a sudden you're out of football, you're out of whatever you're doing. You know, you could get injured or something like that, you know, and you've got nothing to fall back on. So it's really, really important to have a, you know, a perspective about these things and for people to understand what goes on behind the scenes to get to what they see on, on a Saturday. You know, there's a long, long way, you know, there, there's many, 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 many years of, of, uh, of dedication and heartache and injuries and rehab and all these things to get to that point. I had a goal and i was determined to make it whatever the cost um, and be, becoming old getting older becoming a parent changes your perspective so a loss all of a sudden isn't it's it's it it hurts but it's not one of them like it used to be when you were young where you lose on a saturday and you won't be, you know you won't be any kind of company till wednesday maybe you know so now you come home. You've actually got to be, you know, you've got to be a father as well. You've got to be a, a husband. You've got to be a role model for for your children. And they don't care if you've one if you've lost, you know. They, so it helps you get over things quicker. Um, but 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 yeah, I think as a goalkeeper, particularly, you have to have attention to detail because the slightest misstep. You're talking millimeters in everything. You know, the slightest touch can be enough. It can be not be enough. So you have to have attention to detail because you are left with the ultimate responsibility. If you make a mistake, it will cost you. Outfielders can make mistakes and there's always someone behind them to help, them, to, to help bail them out. But as a goalkeeper, you know, that, that very rarely happens. So you, you're left with the ultimate responsibility. And uh, when you've got that type of responsibility, you have to pay attention to every little detail. Um, and, you know, that that's something I've I've come to see with a lot of goalkeepers. I, I, I like that. I'm actually at my most relaxed right before a game. It's more the week leading up to it. When I actually get to the game, all I want to do, I want to just get out, get out, do my warm-up. I want to get out on the pitch. I want to see the pitch, I want to feel the conditions, the weather, the ball you know how how my goal mouth is, is is you know all these kind of things I want to that I just want to get out and do that and then when I come back in to get changed to go out to the game that's cuz I come in early I come in half an hour before the game so I've got nobody in the dressing room I've, and I can just relax no music blaring no nothing just just get get my, my my clothes on and and I'm I'm pretty relaxed in that in that moment but the week leading up to that's you know intense hard work um and, uh, you know, you're working on details regarding who you're coming up against. You know, if, if they are a team that play a lot of high balls and you're working obviously on high balls. If you're working against a team that that pass around a lot then you're moving on, sh- on short movements around your goal, these type of things. But, um, but the week will be, you know, it'll be intense in parts. And then, you know, the, the way training is, you know, all the training's filmed. So I'll go back every evening. I'll watch... The the day's training session, I'll look for little details, and you know I've got constant evolving goals and things I want to keep improving on, keep things I want to change, and I'll keep watching and analysing how how that's progressing, and see if it's something that's working for me or not. If it's not, then I'll you know I'll toss it to one side. Christian Eriksen is the most typical Danish guy you could probably meet. He he has ability beyond words with a football he is he probably is the best footballer i 've ever played with. He has football intelligence he has intelligence like he 's a clever guy, but his football intelligence is off the scale his ability is amazing and the thing I always go on at him about is he has no ego you need to view a bit more you know if you had a bit more ego about you then you know you could score every single game but he you know he's a team player that's and that's the great thing about him you know if you met christian you know you and you didn't know who he was you wouldn't think that he was anything but just a normal guy and he's he's so down to earth yeah like i say just a regular danish guy who who has got yeah the world at his feet one of the standout players in our qualification and one of the standout people as well as a, as a person as well is a, is a guy called Thomas Delaney a central midfielder plays for Werder Bremen in Germany he was captain of FC Copenhagen very young he came to Werder Bremen became captain very quickly there you know he he's a he's a he's a top top guy you know a really nice charismatic guy who everyone instantly likes and respects but he's also he is a warrior on the pitch you know you look at him he's a he's a, you'd think a pretty boy if you looked at him you know nice flowing hair you know very clean skin and looks he's a good looking guy but he's a warrior you know he sticks his head in where it, where it hurts if if needs be and he um yeah he's a fighter and and he's a really really good player as well when he gets the ball he's got a great left foot um and he's someone that i think people at, when they see him at the World Cup, we'll we'll really sit up and take notice of. I try and say to Leicester, you need to sign this guy because he's 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 a top player. I genuinely do believe with this team that we have that we can do something special. You know, we we're a young young team, and uh, it's exciting being part of this generation of football in Denmark. We we ha- we've had we've had some bad years in the last probably eight years or so. We've had some really bad years, uh, but but this team. With this manager, this mentality and team spirit, it's very, very interesting. It's the closest kind of feeling and and uh, team spirit to what we had here. That's probably the closest I've, I've felt outside of Leicester. I think our style of football is very pragmatic. We we have we can adapt, which is is really really good. We can adapt in. Uh, In the sense that we can play along the ground, we can play out from the back if we need to, but we can also, we've got some big, big, powerful players if we need to play a game like that. So, for example, we played against Poland and, uh, you know, the thought behind playing, then we played with four big guys, two big guys on the wing and two big guys up front, Christian Eriksen just behind them, and we thought if we... If we get the ball up to them high, they're not going to be able to win the ball in the air, and it'll drop to Christian and Thomas, and they can do their magic from there. And it worked perfectly. But then you play other games like against Ireland, where they had big, big guys. We thought we're not going to, we're not, it's not going to work for us just to throw balls up high because they're just going to win the, the headers, and we ain't going to get anywhere. So we need to play, we need to play along the ground, and we need to play quick. We need to play along the wings. And we need to change dire- direction sides a lot. And um, again, that worked well. So it's given, it's given us belief that we've got different kind of styles that we can adapt to if if we have to. And uh, according to pitch conditions, weather conditions, team we're playing against, all these kind of things. It's, it's, it's always been a dream, you know, you've, you've always seen that trophy. And and that, and I feel we should have been, this shouldn't be our first, my first World Cup, you know. I think we should, we should have been at the one in Brazil. I feel I should have been... In the one in South Africa, but I wasn't chosen. So, you know, for me, it's it's, it's more like it's about time now, right? So now I've yeah, again like getting to the Premier League. I've <clears throat> I've been patient. I've worked hard, and, and now is a, is the time to uh, to go and, and and perform at the biggest stage of all. Uh, and yeah, I can't wait. I experienced the Euro 2012 as a backup keeper. And it was a great experience and a terrible experience in the sense that it was horrible not to play, but it was great to see and be part of. And, um, you know, I can't wait now.